Uh, and so I promise we will get back to the Sermon on the Mount. We want to go through the entire thing and we want to take our time to do it. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to digest, a lot to absorb. And so we want to take our time going through it. And I want to continue to emphasize that the Sermon on the Mount is a message given to us by Jesus. This is the words of Jesus. It holds the authority and the power that Jesus' words have for our lives. And so it's important to take note of that. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. So I do want to challenge you again to read through it if you haven't already. And as you go through it, uh, really take note. Take note of, of what it's saying, what it's really saying, what it's implying for your life, especially if you grew up in church and you've maybe heard it many times. As I've said, this is not the gospel. This is not, if we try to set that as the gospel, as in if you live by the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you'll be a Christian, Uh, nobody would be a Christian. It's an impossible standard that it sets for us. It's a powerful message that literally shows us an impossible standard. In fact, it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what we see in it is how Jesus is really flipping the cultural understanding of morality upside down and saying that it's not just about living perfect. It has to be about something more than that, about something deeper than that. He takes this kind of standard of life and morality and creates an impossible aim for us to have, one that we can only aim for, we can only hope to aim for if we first become something new, something different. Something in us has to change we must receive this powerful blessing of a changed heart if we hope to see the Sermon on the Mount as a way in which we can hope to live. If we can look at this and say, I want to aspire to that. Even if I fall short, I want to aspire to that. And we'll look as we go through it what exactly it means when we are becoming something new. And this is why it begins with the Beatitudes, why the sermon starts here. Because the Beatitudes, really, it's, it's a declaration it's a, of a blessing is what that means, and it's, it's a description of the blessing of a changed heart of those, for those who belong to Christ, to those who have been converted, who have been changed by the Holy Spirit. And it shows us the character traits that are associated with a genuine, regenerate heart. And as I mentioned last week, we can see it even as a test when we're walking with the Lord and we're kind of uh, developing our faith. We can look through this And ask ourselves, as we go through each of the Beatitudes, you can ask yourself, is that something that describes me? Does that describe the kind of character that I have in the way that I live, in the way that I think, in the way that I conduct myself in my life? Looking through each one, we can begin to know if we truly have a regenerate heart. Now, lest anybody leave here completely discouraged, if if you only... uh, seek to have all of those perfected in your life, that I want to include, that is, I'm not saying that you need to live these to perfection. That's not what it's about, but rather that you see these traits growing in your life. Is is there a development of these things in your life? Are you becoming more merciful than you were before? Are you becoming more meek in how you live your life and how you see yourself and how you relate with others? not always needing to make things about yourself? Have you a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that growing within you? 
Do you continue, have you, and do you continue to mourn over anything that would separate you from God, thinking, I want to be as close to him as I possibly can, and anything that would separate me from him or separate me from other believers in Christ, I want to root out of my life, which is, of course, sin. I want to mourn over sin that it would, because it is something that would separate me from God, and so I want to do what I can to have it rooted out of my life. Is this something that's developing in you, that's growing in you? Are you becoming more empty of your own self-righteousness, becoming poor in spirit, becoming spiritually bankrupt, and becoming filled or made pure in your heart? This is the question we can ask ourselves. Are those things developing? Are they growing? If you look back at your life, do you see that these things have increased? And it's important to also emphasize not just one of them or two of them, all of these things should be seen in our life. And we've seen, as we're, and we'll see again today, that all of these are interconnected. They're all interconnected. The Beatitudes also follow a natural and purposeful progression as we, went, as we go through each of them from beginning to end. It's not just a random assortment of ideal Christian traits that Jesus kind of just throughout there off the top of his head, there's a purpose in how we see that, how, they, how it grows. And last week we saw what I see as this kind of crescendo of sorts with the blessing for those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. This, of course, is only possible when connected with all the Beatitudes. They're all interconnected, seeing all the traits we've looked at so far and seeing them manifesting in our life and growing in our life as we were given a new heart. How can we have a pure heart if we're not merciful or if we haven't mourned over our sin or if we haven't emptied ourselves of our self-righteousness and, been, and become poor in spirit? All of them are interconnected. How can we be pure in heart if we're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness to live a right life before God? So you see that they're all connected and you can see that there is a clear line given to us as we go through them. And it's a beautiful image, as we looked at last week. Again, I see this kind of crescendo, this beautiful image of to be able to see God, to see God. That sounds great, I want that. I want that in my life, I want to see God, to become aware of the spiritual, to understand that God's hand is truly in all things around me, in all things that I'm experiencing, in every area of my life. He is omnipresent, he is everywhere always. And we can begin to see that in a real and tangible way, especially if we can say that I've seen, I'm seeing all of these things, all of these beatitudes, all of these traits that we see in the beatitudes growing in my life, that I am pure in heart. And so continuing down this path through the beatitudes, we have just now two weeks left, and some would say that there are seven, some say eight, some say nine beatitudes, depends on how you break them up or how you want to look at it. But I see that this today, this beatitude that we're going to look at today is, is the final one in relation to our character. It's the final one in relation to our character. For it's here that we're given this identity. Very clearly an identity. And next week we see this kind of outward reflection of this identity. As we reach, as we kind of come to, as we're given all of the beatitudes so far, we see this kind of crescendo and, and next week we kind of see the outpouring of that right in our willingness our, our ability to be even to endure persecution for the sake of righteousness for the sake of what we believe and it's all kind of but it all kind of comes to this point here 
with our identity. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. For they will be called children of God. That's what we want. And that's why we can see this as a bit of a test. Because if we get through all of those, we come to this final point. They shall be called children of God. That's what I want to be called. That's our goal. Here we have the final piece of the test. Of course, it is only in connection with all that we've looked at. Cannot separate this one from the others. You can't be a peacemaker, but be not a very merciful person to have no pursuit, no hunger or thirst for righteousness and say, well, I'm a a child of God because I'm a peacemaker. It's all in connection with everything we've looked at. We now reach this final blessing of being called children of God. So with that in mind, let's kind of unpack this final character trait, peacemaker, peacemaker. Now, our first thought might be, I don't know, I don't know what your thought it was. I had all kinds of things pop through my head when I just think peacemaker. Think of like peace summits, ending wars, solving conflicts and crisis. I kind of also, just randomly, I'll share this with you. Sorry if it's uh, weird, but like I immediately thought, because growing up, like the Miss America pageants were really big uh, in the 90s. And uh, I just picture like, you know, they would always ask like, what is, you know, what do you want for, what's your dream? And it would always be like, world peace. I want world peace. So uh, they were, they were peacemakers in a sense. Um, I hope your aim is higher than that. So we can have all these different ideas. We can maybe also think of a personality type as a peacemaker. Somebody who's just maybe peaceable in general. A peacemaker, though, as a character trait of a Christian, as a character trait of a Christian, encompasses these things in a way, not so much the Miss America thing, but this idea of of bringing peace around us. It's a type of personality trait, but it must be defined more specifically because it's more than just that. It's not simply about natural disposition, a natural disposition. It's more than that. Being somebody who's easygoing or laid back or peaceable by nature, it has to be more than that. A peacemaker is meek, is one who does not consider themselves first, doesn't always look to themselves, but is concerned with those around them, even at cost to themselves. One who doesn't always need to be heard to choose peace over being right. That will help some of you right now in your relationships. To choose peace over being right. A peacemaker is merciful, quick to forgive, slow to anger. So if you're quick to react, quick to be offended, quick to need to make your point known because it's your right to say it, quick to become or put yourself in a defensive position, this is not a very peaceable person. This is not a peacemaker. To be peaceable, we need to have received peace. It comes from this deep well within us, when we're talking about it as a Christian character trait, a peace that wells from within. 
when we have been transformed into new creatures in Christ, it's much easier to put things to the side, to become more peaceable with others, even when they offend us, to be quick to forgive, quick to let things go. We have a bigger perspective in mind. A peacemaker is not self-centered, is less concerned about what is fair to us. Because living in the broken world that we do, if we have a self-centered motivation, it will become very difficult to become a peaceable person. Because no matter what you do, no matter who you are, things are not always going to go your way. They're not always gonna go well for you. Not every day, not every moment of every day, Sometimes things are hard. Sometimes things get difficult. Sometimes we have struggles. And if we're only concerned about ourselves and what we think is fair, that's going to affect how peaceable we are with others. But a peaceable person, a peacemaker, has a greater hope of glory to come, a greater truth of what's to come because Jesus Christ is living and dwelling within them. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it's genuinely impossible to be truly peaceable. To be truly peaceable. A peacemaker is not simply an appeaser of others either. We don't want to oversimplify it. It's not just about being nice with everybody, it's not somebody who seeks peace at any cost to compromise personal belief and morality simply for the sake of peace. To give everybody what they want, to say what everybody wants to hear, that's not a true peacemaker. That's not a peacemaker. This is an important distinction because I think more and more we live in a world where Christians are are even standing up for what society deems to be acceptable and right, even though it goes directly against what the Word of God tells us, what Scripture directs, directly against what God's Word tells us. And this is often done in the name of being peaceable, in the name of let's all get along. Let's be peacemakers between the people of God and the people of the world. Let's all just get together. And that's not a peacemaker. That's not a peacemaker. That's not, that can't be what this is saying, especially if we think about it in light of the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, this cannot be what's implied then by peacemaker, because if we're called to simply make peace as peacemakers at any cost, to simply agree with others, to always seek a middle ground with everybody we come in contact with in every conversation we find ourselves in, even willing to compromise the truth of God's word that we know has been written in our hearts, if that were the case, we would not have any reason to fear persecution. Nobody would care. Nobody is going to persecute us if we were meant to only find peace, to compromise for the sake of peace. Nobody would be lining up to persecute Christians. Nobody would be in line to call us stupid or idiots for what we believe in. It can be tempting. It can be tempting to avoid certain truths. I think we've all maybe been guilty of that in some way or another at some point in our life, to avoid certain truths certain questions about what we believe, about what the Bible says in order to avoid conflict, especially with those we know might hold it against us, those who might think less of us or 
think that we are just religious idiots for being Christian. We're called peacemakers. We're called peacemakers when we belong to Christ. When we have been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ, then we are children of God. But this will never imply peace at the cost of the truth. This will never imply truth, or sorry, imply peace at the cost of truth. And this becomes clear for those who have a conviction by the Holy Spirit working inside. You know, I, 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 I seek peace with others, but man, I cannot compromise the truth of God's word at any cost. As with all the Beatitudes, a peacemaker, peacemaker is something that we cannot produce in ourselves. This is a depiction, or this is depicting rather the nature of a new heart. Someone who has a new heart, who has been transformed into the image of Christ. One who no longer lives by the flesh, is no longer concerned with what the world thinks about them, but walks by the Spirit. And we can see this image when we look again at all the Beatitudes as one, as one changed heart. We can then with certainty conclude that the peacemaker in the Beatitudes is not merely depicting a type of person, but a type of character, something that's different, that's changed, a type of change that will be seen by those who belong to God. This is especially true of this particular beatitude because of the blessing that it gives us. The blessing of a peacemaker and again the accumulation of all the beatitudes is one who is called a child of God. One who is called a child of God. Thus the peacemaker depicted here is a trait seen only by those who are truly children of God. So what is it to be a peacemaker. What is it to be a peacemaker? I think there's two kind of uh, avenues we can take. We can look at it as to, it's to be peaceable. It's to be peaceable. This is how we relate with others. To be peaceable. This is in a passive sense, right? Meaning that if you're actively aggressive, that you're always looking for a fight, starting quarrels unnecessarily, fighting with everybody over the littlest of things, you don't have a peaceable character. And I think that's true also when it comes to the truth of God's word. This isn't in my notes, but I do want to apply this to clarify that uh, just because you know things that might make people upset, it doesn't mean that we go around poking everybody with apologetics and things like that. But at the same time, not again, not compromising what we know is truth when we are confronted. You want to have, you don't have a peaceable character if you haven't had a changed heart, if you seek out quarrels all the time. And if you're naturally like this, if you're not, I come from a family of fighters. Like when we had family fights, the neighbors knew. It was clear, like neighbors like three houses down. If you're naturally like that, by nature an aggressive person, then we can, we, can look, we can know what to look for. 
You can know what to look for. Again, I'm not saying that you're going to be, you're become this perfect person tomorrow. You might struggle with it a while, but struggle with it. Mourn over sin. Struggle with it. Wrestle with it. And there should be a change in your heart. And the change, the work of the Holy Spirit within us or within those of us who struggle with this, who are naturally aggressive people, you're going to see this progress as you grow with the Lord. And it should become something that you see more and more. You become more and more a peaceable person. Things that you used to be offended by don't bother you so much anymore. Times when you would have, you know, waved at somebody with a, in an aggressive way as they cut you off in traffic. Now you give them a genuine, have a great day. I'll pray for you. And you should see this change in your life. You should become more and more peaceable with those around you. On the other hand, if you're not like that, you're naturally a peaceable person, you tend to avoid conflict, you get along with others pretty easily, Maybe you have, even have like a knack for diffusing situations. This is just kind of something you were born with. You didn't, your family always resolved things really well and peaceably. I know everybody's family is like that, right? You're naturally a peaceable person. There still will be a visible and genuine change of your heart that we can look for. A change in how you understand or your understanding of how to be peaceable. Again, and I think this is where we'll see this with people who are always going to avoid conflict, that you'll see this, it'll be seen by a continued willingness to seek peace and to avoid conflict, but never at the cost of compromising our convictions or the truth of God's word. That as the conviction of the Holy Spirit grows in your life, you'll be like, mm, I, I see how I could resolve this, but I, got, I have to stand on what I believe. I have to stand on what I believe. I cannot allow myself to be moved even for the sake of peace. And you'll see that, I think, changing in your life as well. Not so that it's not just a natural disposition, but something that's changed, built out of a transformation of your heart through the Holy Spirit. This is seen in a growing ability to speak the truth. Because you have this natural ability to avoid conflict, but it'll, you'll begin to speak, be able to speak the truth, but with a loving way but never neglecting nor diluting the truth itself. And maybe you'll have an ability to speak into people's life that others would have a struggle with. So this first thing is becoming a, in becoming a genuine peacemaker, you will see a growing love, a growing grace for those around you. You'll be quick to make peace when conflict is unnecessary, but firm to stand on the truth in a way that is filled with love and peace in itself, to have a peaceable disposition with those around you. And the second way we see this is in an active pursuit of peace. In an active pursuit of peace, one who seeks to produce peace. This applies to peace between brothers and sisters within the church. If you're a part of the conflict, you seek to resolve it quickly. Quickly and even if, it, if it's at cost to you, because it doesn't matter. Peace, if, it, if, it, if it's not the truth of God's word at stake, peace is always worth it. Peace between groups, peace between nations, between races. As children of God, we should be 
actively in pursuit of peace. We should long for peace. See, the true peacemaker is one who seeks the glory of God. The true peacemaker is one who seeks the glory of God. And this is seen in how we view the world. When we see war, racism, conflicts of any kind, we can say with confidence, this does not bring glory to God. This does not bring glory to God. Therefore, I will stand against it. Because I want to see God glorified, and that doesn't glorify God. But again, seeking it with a heart that's been changed will look different to how the world understands that same pursuit. And the difference primarily lies in our ultimate goal. See, my ultimate goal as a peacemaker, as a child of God, is not merely to create a perfect society. My purpose as a peacemaker has a much more long-term goal in mind. A much more long-term goal in mind. To bring peace between mankind and God through each individual heart. To bring peace between mankind and God through each individual heart heart, to see people reconciled to God, to empty themselves, to mourn over their sin, to see hunger and thirst for righteousness develop in their life. I want to see people changed, to see their hearts transformed. I do hope to see peace in the world. Amen. But my greater concern and the greater emphasis of the work that I will do in my life as a peacemaker is to see peace between the hardened hearts of mankind and the grace and love of God. To see people connecting to a loving father that they may be called children of God. Now the means by which I seek to bring peace is ultimately through the peace made between God and mankind. To see people's hearts being changed. That's going to change things. This is important because As we've seen with all the Beatitudes, without a changed heart, there is no change. Without hearts being changed, there's no change. There's no hope for peace in the world without without sinful, deceitful hearts being transformed into something new. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible for us as humans to ever truly abandon our selfish, prideful ambitions We turn everything into sinful. We talked about that last week when we talked about what it says in Jeremiah about the heart. See, we can look good on the outside at times, but our hearts are so easily corrupted and will continue to be led astray as as human beings in our sinful flesh. Our deceitful hearts are incurable. They can't be changed on their own. You can't work hard enough to make it better. You can't make people understand this truth So, though I do hope for peace in a real sense in the world, I know that this is only attainable through the transforming of hearts. What does this actually look like, though, to be a peacemaker? First and foremost, it is to proclaim the good news of the peace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the truth. Yeah, we came back to that, the gospel. It's amazing how often we have to come back there because it's kind of the center of everything. I talk about it a lot if you've come here often. 
first and foremost, it's to proclaim the good news of peace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me put it another way. Here's the counterintuitive truth. To be a peacemaker, you need to arm yourself for war. To be a peacemaker, you need to arm yourself for war because we're at war. Ephesians 6, 12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy longs to destroy us by division, dissension, fighting, quarrels. Our enemy is no lover of peace, though he often disguises a deception as peace. He disguises a deception, a lie, in the name of peace for the sake of furthering division. See, is the, what he is trying to crush is the gospel. What he's trying to snuff out is the truth of the gospel, which might sound redundant if you, go, if you grew up in church, but we have to go back there again and again and again. Or as Martin Luther said, I have to say, I have to preach the gospel to my people every week because every week they forget it. Because it is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that sets us free. And for those who are truly set free, there's peace. So to be a peacemaker, we need to set people free. And to set them free, we need, they need to hear the truth. And to hear the truth, we need to speak the truth. Because if we're not speaking the truth, how are they going to hear it? To paraphrase Paul. If we are warriors for Christ, then our battle cry is never against people. They're not our enemy. They're not our enemy. And when we really get this, when we understand this, actually, it goes the other way, right? When we have a changed heart, and we become merciful. We begin to see who God is. We hunger and thirst for righteousness in our life. We see that it's not, it's not people that we're fighting. It's not them who are against us. They're not our enemy. And so we don't fight with weapons of this world. But with the word of God. We fight with the word of God. Which is as sharp as a double-edged sword it says in Ephesians. And we fight for the sake of fulfilling our mission, which is what? To be bringers of peace. And what is the peace? Ephesians 6, 15. And with our feet, and this is a piece of the armor of God in all of, if you read through all of Ephesians 6, which we won't do right now. And with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Become a peacemaker by speaking the truth of the gospel of peace and be ready always to do it. This is the mission of a peacemaker. This is the role of a child of God. The world is filled with the lost, filled with people who need the truth, who need to be changed by it, who will tell them? I think of the prodigal sons, which is really the story of two sons, 
Sometimes we forget that. Both were in rebellion against God. One seeking peace, seeking satisfaction through all that the world has to offer, as many do. The other seeking peace, seeking satisfaction through self-righteousness, through a mirage of morality filled with pride. Churches are filled with those as well. But see, both are in rebellion against God. Both were in rebellion against God, both in need of peace between themselves and their loving Father. They needed that peace. But see, the end of the story is sad because only one brother understood the truth and came home. Only one brother sat at the feast with his father and had peace. The other fell into quarreling, wanting nothing to do with the peace that had been offered him. The world is filled with both types of brothers. And if we want to see peace in the world around us, we should hope to see this reconciliation between the lost and the peace and grace of a loving father. Whatever they were doing to seek peace in their life before, there is only one way to find it, and it is through the gospel. There is only one giver of peace. It is Christ. It is Jesus Christ. As with all true Christian character traits, they only come out of us when we first have been filled with them. We need to understand this peace. We first, we came to Christ. There was a moment when we began to seek Christ. We began to read his word. We began to come to church and this something in us began to change. We have to have this moment and this is when peace begins to settle. We find peace. We find rest. All those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Christ gives us rest. Christ gives us peace. So we come to Christ who gives us peace and then molds us into peaceable people with those around us and we are then created to become peacemakers in the world that we live in and this should be seen then practically in the way that we live our life. This is the mark of a Christian, of a true Christian. So imagine a world with more genuine, regenerate followers of Jesus Christ. What would it look like? A world with more people who are being crafted and molded into the very image of Jesus. I can promise you, this is our greatest hope of any real peace in the world. And we have to have the right perspective. That we, the image in the prodigal son is the image of eternity when he enters into that feast with his father. See, the Jews of Jesus' day wanted a kingdom in this world. In fact, several times they tried to take Jesus by force and make him into a king. But a true peacemaker follows Jesus' example in declaring not a kingdom now in this world, but a kingdom to come, a hope of glory, a promise that lasts for eternity. And this will change the way that we live, even now, even today, and it will affect the world around us when we really get it. Because when you really get that, it's a lot easier to live peaceably and to seek peace in the world that we live in. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let Christ rule in all areas of your life 
in your heart and in your mind. And his peace, a peace that surpasses your own understanding, will also rule and be seen and manifest in all that you do and how you think, how you interact, how you respond. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are you a peacemaker? Are you equipped? Are you ready with the gospel of peace? We should demonstrate peace in the way that we live. And if you embody the character traits found in the Beatitudes, and I would say we can also equate that with what we see in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if these are descriptors of who you are, or at least descriptors of who you're becoming, then the world will see a, pe- a person of peace. If you really are living that way, you will be a peacemaker. And this is what defines us. Going through each of the Beatitudes, we arrive finally here at our identity. I know that this idea of identity has become somewhat of an obsession of our generation. You don't read much about this idea of identity when you go back 100, 200 or more years when reading Christian literature. But I believe we cannot argue that this is exactly what this beatitude is depicting. That the conclusion out of the, of the accumulation of all of the character traits found in the Beatitudes is the conclusion of who we are. We are children of God. And I pray that this would be said about all of us today. Amen? I'll invite the band to come up as, we, as I'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you are doing in us molding us and changing us into something new. I pray, Father, that as we think on the words that we went through today, as we think on the Beatitudes and the character traits that it describes, Lord, that we would long to see those continuing to grow in our life. And for those of us who have seen them grow, that we would only want more, that we would ever hunger and thirst for more righteousness in our life, that we would be called people of peace, that we would be called children of God. I thank you that you give us this identity when you molded our hearts into something new. May this sink deep into our life and all that we do this week in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to stand as we take some time for worship.